Our reading comes from, there's two um, parts. One comes from Acts 4, um, verses 42 to 47. And the other part comes, oh, sorry, Acts 2. I won't get it wrong. Don't worry, Andy. <laughs> and 2 Corinthians, which actually I did very nearly get wrong. I had it all set for 1 Corinthians 13 because my favorite little passage. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then I suddenly realized it wasn't the one that you wanted. It's 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 14. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They break, broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be one of mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Good morning. Um, thank you, Jane, for the reading. Uh, thank you to the band for um, uh, leading us so well in worship. And just thanks to every single person who week by week makes our time together possible. Um, I'd like to say a big thanks to the welcome team as well. I mentioned a holy kiss uh, in that uh, reading just then. Did, did you get a holy kiss on the way in? Would you want one? Probably depends who... Did someone say Phil. I'd love a holy kiss from Phil. That'd be a wonderful thing. Um, who's put their decorations up? Can we show our hands? No judgment, just... That's good. Anybody going to do it this weekend? Later on today? Okay. I'm going to start by doing a shout-out. I don't know why we don't do more shout-outs um, when we, before we preach. We're on telly as well. So I think it's a great opportunity to do a, a shout-out. I wanted to do a shout-out to uh, Catherine Clarkson. As some of you will know her, she was our children's worker here for many, many years. And then she left to go and work for a, a charity called Hands at Work out in South Africa. And she's currently, she landed on Tuesday, coming back to see friends and family for Christmas. And she's currently uh, in a hotel near uh, Heathrow Airport with two guards either side of her corridor. And she gets taken out to like an exercise compound for quarter of an hour, it's the car park of the hotel to get some exercise, again under guard, so um, can we do a, we do one, two, three, I don't know whether the mics will pick it up, we'll just say, hi Catherine so one, two, three, hi Catherine so that's a shout out uh, to uh, Catherine I hope she's watching after that, because she's got nothing else to do for ten days, so she better be um, I've got two jokes to start with, and we're going to vote so I've got one that's a sort of a Christmassy joke and one that's in like an educational joke. So 
Hands up who'd like the Christmassy joke. Okay, and hands up who'd like the educational joke. That's both then, excellent. So, <laughs> so the Christmas joke. So you've got Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, and they're stood there, and they're looking at all the, um, the gifts under the tree. And Darth Vader goes... Luke, I know what you're getting for Christmas. Apologies to the sound guys for that. <laughs> and Luke Skywalker goes, what, what do you mean? You know what I'm getting for Christmas. And Darth Vader goes, Because I felt your presence. <laughs> and the educational one... Um, I found out actually how you tell the difference between uh, male ants and female ants. What you do is you get a, a glass of water and you put the ants at the top and the one that sinks is a girl ant and the one that floats is boy ant. There we go. So I just did that so that people who've gone out with their kids can, can come back and, and hear the important stuff. That's, that's the only reason that was there. So as a church in this uh, season, we've been uh, abiding, basically. We've been waiting on God to see what things he wants to say. And we've been having more of a regular focus on communion, um, which will continue on into next year. We have a service like this one where apparently it's a shorter talk, um, so... We'll see how that goes. And we focus on a particular theme or a particular aspect of uh, communion. Now, Jim talked about the cups previously, and Bev Price talked about forgiveness. And um, continuing on in that communion focus this morning, uh, I'm going to uh, take an aspect of communion, and we're going to unpack it together. Now, quite rightly, when we often talk about uh, communion, we usually focus on that very personal side of communion on our relationship with God and that amazing redemptive sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross so that our sins will be forgiven and we can walk in the freedom with him. However, I'm going to unpack this morning that more corporate act of what we do when we share in communion together, as we're going to be doing shortly. That sense of community and fellowship that that brings. When we take uh, communion in fellowship not only with Christ, but also with each other. So to, to see what that looks like, we can turn to Scripture. We can look at uh, 1 Corinthians ten seventeen, a very famous verse where Paul writes, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one bread. And Paul was saying that that bread represented Christ's body, which was also a sign of the church's unity, both unity unity with Christ, but also unity with each other. God's people are God's body. We've been invited to share together in God's plans and purposes. So for the early church, this was an amazing time. It was through sharing in this new thing called communion that their union with God was now so much closer and more intimate than they'd ever known before. But also, the same was true of their union together with other Christians. It can be helpful to uh, view communion through the shape of the cross. And it's so handy. We have this uh, cross uh, that Doug uh, made uh, for us. It's been great to see it 
I think, on the stage over the last few weeks. But we've got that, that vertical act of worship um, between us and God. We've also got a horizontal uh, worship um, and fellowship and communion when we share together in the Lord's Supper. So as we share that together, even if we're joining this morning online, we need to remember that we're being united with people across uh, 20 centuries and probably over 300 different countries and uh, cultures as we celebrate together with the worldwide family of Christian believers. The bread is not only symbolic of Christ's body and his suffering, but also of the church. As believers in Christ, we share this bread together and we're reminded that Christ lives within us through his Holy Spirit. And so we can have that close and intimate relationship with each other. So often a good, true Christian fellowship has both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions. We share in fellowship with Christ and we share in fellowship with each other. And the Lord's table is such a a great place to express this fellowship that we have together. As we celebrate communion, we're reminded of some of the fundamental commandments that we've been given that actually can be summed up in just eight words, and hopefully they'll appear on the screen uh, behind me in a second. And they are, love God, love each other, and love the world. Perhaps the order here is, is actually quite important. We need to get our relationship with God right first before we can then focus on our relationship together with other believers. And then before we can go out into the world and model something different to go and make disciples as we are all called to do. It's a bit like the advice we can get when we are sitting on a plane about to take off uh, on the tarmac when they say if the oxygen fails and the masks comes to come down, you know, put on your own mask first before helping those around you. And perhaps the church, that's what we need to do. We need to look at ourselves first and take care of ourselves before looking to go out and help the others. So what does it look like to be in communion and fellowship with each other? Let's think for a moment what it means to share in the bread. What things should be happening as we gather together for communion? What should we be like as a community of believers? Uh, Some of you will know uh, my wife Fiona and I run a marriage enrichment organisation called Time for Marriage. And in our work with couples, we very often use um, a visual example, which is the iceberg. Now, as you know, an iceberg has like 90% that you can't see. It's beneath the waterline. And it's only about 10% that presents itself above the water that you can see. And we use this example for couples when they're perhaps having some conflict. Very often, what you argue about, and this doesn't have to be couples, it can be with friends or work colleagues or people in church, but it's usually that thing, that 10% that presents itself at the top. So it's an argument about usually a silly thing the washing up or putting petrol in the car or, or whatever it is. But actually, it's, it's the 90% beneath the waterline where the couple, something's happened in that week, something's been brewing, something's been brewing up for, for weeks or, or that day. There are other things beneath the waterline, but it's that top thing that actually acts as a, a catalyst. So if we apply that example of the iceberg to us as a church, then what stuff do we need to work on? What is hidden below the waterline 
here at Waypoint. And what do we need to do in order to get that 10% that the world sees? When we're called to go out and make disciples, what is it that we are modelling and showing to the world? I suggest one of the first things that we uh, need to work on is actually being more uh, intentionally relational with each other. Twice in the Lord's Supper, Jesus gives his disciples an explicit instruction about their relational life together. John 13, verse 34, says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. Sorry, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then later on, John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I reckon that uh, having good relationships as a church can actually trump uh, most things. As a church, we can have you know, great strategy, amazing um, programs, fantastic preaching themes, targeted outreach, meaningful motto texts, and all these things are really good and important. But if things aren't right between us, then just so often we're setting ourselves up for a fall. If we can have strong and Christ-like relationships with each other, then that can form the strong foundation that everything else that we do as a church can be built on. God is a God of relationship with us. And Jesus was in relationship with his Father. He was in relationship with those around him, with his disciples and the various people that he met throughout his time on earth. And he wants to be in relationship with us too, but also for us to be in that good relationship with each other. You could say that that Fee and I are sort of relationship junkies, if you like. We're just sort of wired that way. That's the way that we were made, basically. Meeting for us with with large groups of people is fine, and we can enjoy doing that. But it's those times we can meet with just one, two or three others in a much more intimate setting where we can have those conversations, where we can be vulnerable, we can go deep, we can laugh and cry with others. I remember back to when we were first married, we went to an Anglican church in uh, Tunbridge Wells, and we had a great vicar and his wife, we we loved them dearly, and uh, one time they said, would you like to come round for for Sunday lunch? I was like, that'd be brilliant, we'll have a great time, we'll catch up with them, it'd be really, really good. And then we rocked up, and then there was a dozen other people uh, around the dining room table. Now... That's not a criticism. They were just trying to be effective and see and connect with as many people as they could. But we were disappointed. We weren't going to get that time with just the two of them to, to go deep and to talk about the important stuff. But there are pros and cons when we are relational like this. It's great to be able to really empathise and, and, and connect with people. But when relationships break down, as inevitably some will for whatever reason, then we can get really hurt. It's not rocket science, really, but perhaps we just need to be nice to each other. It's not that profound. It doesn't come from the the Greek or the Hebrew, um, but sometimes just basic common sense. Again, going back to some of the couples we work with, we sometimes hear them talking about their days, their weeks, and 
how they relate to each other. And they're just not very nice to each other sometimes by the things they say and the things that they do. And I think sometimes as a church, unfortunately, we can also uh, display this behaviour sometimes. As God's family, we need to have empathy, grace and patience with each other. And we need to apply that one fact more uh, approach that, that Mark so often talked about. So important. What's that thing? It's like the icebreaker again. What's that thing that's hidden beneath the surface in someone's life? What it is, that, is, is it that they're going through that's making them behave the way they are? So many people these days out in the world strive for real community. And if we can be uh, connected together in a Christ-like way as the body of Christ, then we can really have that really deep uh, sense and example of community. There's something really special, isn't there, when we meet another Christian. We could have met them just for a few minutes, but because we share the same deep beliefs and values, we can very quickly feel a bond between us and a real sense of shared purpose. As we come to, to take communion in a moment, we need to ask, quite rightly, are we right with God personally? But also, are we right with each other? Is the body uh, healthy and functioning? The book of Acts that details the life of the early church is a rich source of instruction and ideas, a bit like a, a blueprint of what our church culture should look like. As Jane read earlier, it gives some of the bare bones of what it means to be a church, to teach the word of God, to break bread together, to pray regularly, and to enjoy fellowship through meals. So what can we do to improve that horizontal flow as we take communion together? What can we do to set a Christ-like culture in our church? And that's something we've been very much thinking about uh, as a leadership team. When I talk about culture, I'm not talking about the the unimportant things like um, do we have more traditional worship or more contemporary worship? Uh, Those sort of things we could talk about for ages and there's no uh, right or wrong answer. But when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about our core values, the DNA that shapes us all as a church. Does our culture as a church need to be more um, authentic and more relational? Out of all the, the hurts and the pain and the challenges that we've had over this past year, could we become one of the most loving relational, authentic and vulnerable churches that there, are, that there is through what we've learned through that process. For us to open up in that way and be authentic and, and vulnerable, this needs to be a, a safe space, free from any judgment or shame or condemnation. And we all have our parts to play in making that happen. We need to keep short accounts with each other something we've learned as a leadership team and we're very much trying to put into practice. Inevitably, however unintentionally, somebody will do or say something that might hurt us and upset us. And if that happens, we need to be able to go to that person and have that very open and honest conversation, however difficult it might be. You might have heard of a thing called the five love languages, uh, that's a concept that a guy called Gary Chapman came up with, 
and we actually often use it in our work with couples, but it can apply in all sorts of areas too. The idea is there's five different um, ways that we can feel um, loved, and each of us will have like one or two primary love languages that will speak to us the most and really fill up our love tank. And the five different love languages are encouraging words, acts of service, gifts, quality time, and physical touch. So I'll say them again. Encouraging words, acts of service, gifts, quality time, and physical touch. My main uh, love language is encouraging words. Um, I may come across as being quite confident, but I'm not. Uh, Lots of insecurities lurk inside, and it really helps me when people say something encouraging, something positive to me. After nearly 30 years of marriage, um, Fee's got so good at this that she'll say something encouraging. So I'm not very good at DIY, and I'm not very practical, but I'll put up a curtain rail. It's like my nemesis, a curtain rail. And she'll say, wow, that's just amazing. It's, it's straight, it's still up after five minutes. And I don't know whether she means it or not, but she's so good. She knows that I need it, that I crave. It's pathetic, isn't it, really? But I crave those words of affirmation. But I'll take it anyway. Whether they're meant or they're not, it makes me feel better. So you can apply those to all sorts of ways, but what does it mean if we apply those love languages to our church family rather than to a couple? Can it be a place where people like me can get um, encouragement and affirmation? Can it be a place where we serve each other and look after each other's needs? A place where we can provide for each other, where we're generous in our giving and we help those who are less fortunate than we are? A place where we press pause on the busyness of our lives and make time for each other. Time to give to other person is such a precious thing. Or a place where we can get a hug when we need one. Um, if you have one of PJ's hugs, they're a great tonic, uh, which I can recommend. So how can we ensure that the energy of encouragement and being encouraged is flowing freely through us? I just think that if we could focus on encouraging each other more as Christians, that's just one thing that could have such a fundamental impact on us as a church family. Think of ways that you can say something affirming or encouraging to somebody else. It's been a hard year for many of us, and I've just been so grateful for the different ways that people have encouraged and affirmed me through all sorts of different ways. It's been uh, just so amazing, and I'm just so very grateful for that. Can we be more hospitable with each other? It says in the passage, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So as we share the bread together, so we should share our lives together, our hurts, plus also our hopes and our dreams. Can we share our vulnerabilities with each other without shame or fear of judgment? When Keith was with us, he would often uh, refer to uh, the formation that Roman soldiers would sometimes make when they linked their individual shields together to form one big shield. I think it was called the tortoise. There should be a picture of it. There we go. 
Each shoulder, each, sorry, each soldier, each soldier's shield not only protects them as an individual, but also it protects those around them. It was a very effective way of um, when you were going into battle, basically. So can we, as God's family here at Waypoint, just have each other's backs like those soldiers did in that, uh, in that image? What we say matters for sure. What we do matters even more than what we say. But I think it's the relationship we have with each other which really matters and really speaks volumes to the world outside. So what does it mean as we come to gather together as the church around the communion table? As we're all gathered around the cross together as his church right now, are we in unity or are we somewhat dispersed and disparate, set aside from each other and from God? Can we hear the call together to take the opportunity to regroup around the cross as we come out of this abide season? to recalibrate, to reset our compass with the cross as our waypoint, showing us the path that we should take. What does Jesus want to realign in us as a church? What does he want to repurpose in us? What part does he want each one of us as individuals to play in that? What are we carrying as a church that we might need to lay down at the cross? What things has God been saying to us all together or individually, as we've been abiding in him. Forgiveness is surely uh, one of the keys that we have to making sure that we're in a really good relationship with each other, uh, as Jim Thomas helps us to uh, look at uh, when he preached uh, last week. It's my hope and prayer that our fellowship can overcome whatever differences we may have. I pray that the things that we hold in common And the beliefs that we share can put us on a level ground. What we share in common is so powerful and so strong that no other supposed difference would divide us. That when we take the communion meal together, we each acknowledge this. We admit that each one of us is a sinner who deserves punishment, but receive the greatest pardon at the greatest price. This is the essence of the gospel. And it can conquer all the other barriers that might get in the way of our unity. So whatever your uh, viewpoint is on what's happened in this church over the last year or so, and we can all agree it's been difficult and there's been hurt, but I pray that as we gather together as God's family to share in communion together, it can be a place of forgiveness and a place where reconciliation can start.